Welcome to the very 112th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. This time you're joined by me, Matt Lees, as well as Tom Brewster and Ava Foxford. Hello. Hello. Wow, that was in sync. Amazing. It was incredible. <laughs> Tom, how are you doing today? I am doing good. I'm sitting by my window. And Matt, look, I don't want to let the people know at home, but we did record we were recording the intro at the end and I said that it was really nice before we started recording because I was sitting by my window and now I am sweltering. It's, <laughs> oh, it's always the way you go from, you go from nice to too hot. So pleasantly warm and breezy to well steamed. We got the podcast sweats. <laughs> yeah, Woo! Podcast sweats. It's classic. It's a classic <laughs> response. The body always responds to hor- uh, to podcast hormones, stuff like this. Well, look, <laughs> listeners can imagine when we finish this intro segment and go to a sting before we jump back in, uh, you metamorphing, basically. Mm. You, your, your, your body temperature dramatically dropping. So just imagine uh, a visual representation of Tom becoming refreshed and renewed like a like a chilly butterfly. We're going to be young again. <laughs> We're all going to be young again, mildly, not much younger. <laughs> We're all going to be slightly younger again. <laughs> About an hour. I'm great. I'm good. I am good. I am, I've been playing some games. I've been uh, doing random bits of productivity, and I jumped in a river uh, just yesterday, and it was great. Oh, Fantastic. I'm looking forward to hopefully jumping in some sort of body of water in the near future. Um, I haven't decided which one yet, but it's probably going to happen. Don't do the Thames. And on that bombshell, (laughs) (laughs) that bombshell, let's continue with the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. On today's show, we've got a bunch of stuff for you. First of all, we're going to be talking about Forgotten Waters, a piratey party game. But is it good? Well, yes, it's very good. Um, Ava's going to be telling us a little bit more about the crew. This was a game that Quinn's covered briefly, I believe, in his update on the five hottest card games right now. Is that true? Did he do that or have I imagined that? Yeah, I believe the video was called Five Hottest Card Games in Your Area. Exactly. I was just thought I was gaslighting myself there, but no, he did mention it briefly. He was <laughs> going to mention it more. Yes. Wingspan is something that now we've all played. The review went up a couple of days ago. Quinn's wasn't super hot on it, but I think we might be a little bit softer. Tom got to play Gloomhaven for the very first time a few weeks ago, and we just sort of get a little bit excited about the possibility of playing Jaws of the Lion, which is going to be happening next Tuesday, although on the internet, not using tangible human fingers and thumbs. Boo. (laughs) And then briefly, we're going to talk a little bit about Mothership, an RPG we've been running recently that Ava and Tom got to play for the first time. And then finally, finally, we might talk about a couple of little digital card games we've been playing recently. It's a bit the naughty. secret but... bonus level of the Shut Up and Sit yeah, Down podcast. Nobody tells anyone, and no one has to know that we've been playing a digital card Cheeky game. Cheeky little digits. So the first game we're going to be talking about today is Forgotten Waters. Now, Forgotten Waters is a game that I keep calling Forbidden Waters or Forbidden Seas or Forbidden just wet stuff. It's For some reason, I can't get it, but it is called, and that's why I've got written down, Forgotten Waters. This is a absolutely marvellous box of tricks from Plaid Hat Games. They've been working on it for a very long time, and it was the last game that was worked on by Isaac Vega before he departed uh, ways with Plaid Hat to go and do his own thing. It's made by 
Isaac Vega, with writing from Mr. Bistro, who we're very, very fond of the writing in Stuffed Fables, I believe, which wasn't a game that we loved very much, but the writing was wonderful. And you can watch a video on Twitch of myself and Tom playing Forgotten Waters with two of the game's developers. Um, and that's going to be on YouTube pretty soon. We played it on Twitch. It's going to be on YouTube soon. It's the way it works. Anyway, it is a fabulous, fabulous thing. Tom, do you want to give us a little top line of what Forgotten Waters is? Sure. Forgotten Waters is like a adventure game in the kind of the most literal sense you're playing a game where you are a bunch of pirates on a pirate ship you get different roles uh on that ship and you each have your own pirate character who's looking to do a cool adventure each person has their own individual little booklet which has a sort of kind of like a skill tree right it's like a, more like a story tree which yeah, you're going to unlock it's, it's less of a node of. it's less of a, a booklet more of a pamphlet but it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's literally it's literally an A5 piece of paper folded in half, but it's still enough to make you feel really quite hooked into it. I mean, yeah, I've played a little bit more of Forgotten Waters than Tom in the fact that we played through the first part of the first adventure and we didn't finish it. Unfortunately, we failed for reasons we might get into in a moment. But I since went back and played it uh, with my family because they've done a thing with this where it was already a kind of half digital game in the fact that you have pages in this storybook that you go through and it will say, well, go to this page and you'll have a lovely bit of art which depicts the area you're in. And then you will have a list of the different uh, actions you can take within that space and you each take it in turns in order of notoriety as pirates to choose which action you're going to do. When you're taking the actions, you're then going to read the stuff on the book, which tells you what to do. And usually you're going to roll a dice and make some sort of check against your stats. So you might get really good at being good at swagger or firing cannons or hunting for fish. And as you go through, your skills are going to improve. You're going to collect treasures and you're going to unlock bits of your story. The thing about this game, which I think is really genius, is the way that it ties together a variety of different styles of game in a really delightful way first of all it kind of reminds me of roll of right roll and rights such as welcome to and the fact that you can play this game with up to seven people i think maybe yeah three to seven people which is a lot of people and it really would play very well with seven people it's a great shame that the covid stuff all smashed into the world at the point this was just about to release because it's clearly a party game in a way. You have this piece of paper folded in half, you write your pirate name on it, and then every now and then you cross stuff off with a pencil, and then you know that you're going to get a few more points when you roll a dice. But better than that, when you open it up, it asks you, it gets you to fill in these little prompts. So it'll say a type of vegetable, or like a very famous person, or someone with a silly name. And you'll fill in these boxes, and you'll just write this stuff down. And then as you go on, first of all, before you start the game, you will read out your introduction to the other pirates, which will be telling you everyone else who you are as a pirate, filling in blanks with the words that you've written down. And then as you go through the game, you'll have revelations and your, your story will continue. Again, pulling from these five original silly words into sentences and paragraphs. And it very much feels like a party game in the fact that they've, I think one of them was just a silly name. And they really got us with that because it was like, of course, when it says write a silly name, you're going to write maybe the name of somebody who's at the table. And <laughs> and I, I seem to remember a specific circumstance where someone did that 
and it really kind of backfired in a way it was like oh yeah we thought you might do that so we're gonna mess with you now so the person having to read it out had to read something out which then makes them look embarrassed and it's just an awful lot of fun there's not a great deal of strategy to it but it's it's absolutely wonderful to play online i mean i played it on on zoom basically because you only need one person to have access to the book which reminds me weirdly of like Ava, you'll remember this. You're about the same age as me. Do you remember back in the day when it used to be that you'd have a PC game and the piracy check for it would be that you'd have to type in some letters from the manual? Yeah, rotate a weird disk object or go to a certain page and and pick pick the right word from the right thing. Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. And so people would still have pirated games, but they'd have to print out these like photocopied uh, (laughs) copies of the game manual that they keep in a drawer because it would say on page 43, what's the sixth letter? And you'd have to just (laughs) enter it. Um, It has a feel of that in the fact that you're basically, the whole game is playable just using computers, but then you can't play it because you need to know what the number is at the bottom of the page, which is something about it that's kind of delightful. Um, That's cute. But yeah, you you type in these things. And what's lovely is it has this honestly fairly accomplished and very lighthearted and fun, but fairly accomplished voiceover stuff. Which, which reads you through these hammy stories. So rather than it being a thing where like now you go to this and you read out this thing to everyone, you can do that if you want. But because you type it into a web browser or you know on your phone or whatever, you can then have it read it out to you. And so obviously when you're playing it remotely, everyone just sits and listens to it. So yeah, it's just generally raucous and silly and fun. And this is the first board game I've tried to play with my family over Zoom that hasn't kind of been a bit of a disaster if i'm entirely honest um it's it's quite hard playing board games with family sometimes at the best of times but when you're not all in the same location and you can't tell that someone's furled up their brow and they don't get something for 20 (laughs) minutes you don't find out until like you're halfway through the game and your dad suddenly says dad suddenly says i don't understand any of this (laughs) why didn't you I, I tried to play Terra Mystica with my family and it was one of the most misguided things I've ever done. Try, try, <laughs> try to, I got halfway through trying to teach Terra Mystica using uh, uh, Board Game Arena and it was just that thing of going like, I've made a huge mistake. Uh, this, is, this is a terrible, <laughs> terrible mistake. Whereas um, it sounds like this is something where you've just got, you've got like the little fold-up book in front of you. You know that, that that's telling you some stuff you've got to do. And every turn you're just making a decision. Like, it's just like, what exactly. do you want to do? Do you want to go hang out in a bar or do you want to go and build a ship? I don't know. I haven't played it. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> no, that, really But basically that's it. And what I think what's lovely about it is the only things that were a little bit of a barrier, ent- barrier of entry originally um are the fact that it asks you to do like make a swagger check and <laughs> if you've not played games then that's something that's going to confuse people because they, they kind of took a while to get the hang of the idea of like well look you you'd roll the dice and then you add your skill to it you know which is like it's not especially difficult concept but really that's the only concept you have to get your head around everything mm. else is fairly self-explanatory as you go along and i think the thing that really delights people is the fact that at first is it is a cooperative game and there was a point of being like oh but i don't i don't know what to do i don't know what i should where i should go and as soon as people start to realize that it doesn't really matter and also you can just be a bit selfish it's nice that when you are the most important pirate on the ship you you can just behave recklessly there are lots of missions where you have to do things like there'll be two locations where it's like you have to feed the crew and you have to man the sails because you know you're out at sea 
But that just means that it's the last two players who get to choose what to do have to do those things. If you're the first person, you could be in the middle of a terrible disaster. And I mean, well, Tom, do you want to explain some of your behaviors during the game? <laughs> Look, I'll stand by every decision I made throughout <laughs> that game. There's, um, I, I seem to remember there were a couple of points where I feel like I irritated the rest of the crew. Uh, one of which was when we were out at sea and there was a fight going on. And I think I decided to try and make friends with the other pirates while everyone else was on the cannons, if I remember correctly, or something similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd all man the cannons, and then you're like, I'm going to go and parlay with them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, or there was a point when we, we decided we were going to parlay, and then uh, one thing that uh, we didn't mention is that the fact there's a timer on when you're picking your actions. So if you don't, you, you know, there's a... And it's, you have plenty of time to choose, but still, if, if you, you feel a little bit of pressure to pick something quickly. So we decided to parlay... And then I think I accidentally might have killed a few of them after we parlayed, which definitely felt like we were violating some kind of pirate Geneva convention. Um, but it was fun. But the main... I mean, the, the I don't crux... think you annoyed us, though. I think it was oh, no, like, that's the good. same things happened when I played by, <laughs> with my family. It was like, it was just a given that some people would just go off and do annoying yeah. things because they wanted to in a way that like, if you are like the head pirate on a ship, that's what pirates, imaginary pirates, I should point out, feel like they would be doing like the captain does whatever the hell he wants like you know um but then right at the end we had the uh the situation where we needed to go into a into a cave to find some some marks or some treasure or, or some inscriptions on the wall i seem to remember and you were yeah. fine you were going to go into the cave and you found it quite difficult because the the skill check you needed to make was impossible without a light source so we just we delegated that I had to go to the blacksmith to pick up torches, and I think I just spent some time browsing um, instead yeah. of buying anything. Which I will yeah, say you was, got... uh, you know, I entirely blame the Twitch chat for that encounter because they were going <laughs> browse, 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 browse. So I spent a lot of time just looking for items, but I didn't really come back with anything exciting, <laughs> no, or anything that we needed. Yeah, and I also did spend a lot of the the crew money and the crew supplies on getting face tattoos as well. Yes, you did, which was something which, which in hindsight was frivolous. I think also whenever there were multiple times where, in a moment of peril, you decided to spend your time challenging <laughs> me to swag offs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. challenges so you can steal my treasure <laughs> yes i wanted to, well because you came after my swagger crown you know frank the clown doesn't want anyone my character was frank the clown doesn't want anyone coming after his swagger crown which and you know i, mean, yeah, I think i, think I we defended were, uh, till the end of the game <laughs> wasn't it we were like we were just stealing a hat off of each other back and forth you know yeah. it's it's basically it's that sort of thing so it's there are some interesting stories within it i've only ever played i only played the first of maybe four i think campaigns within it maybe five uh, that are slowly being voiced i think the first three at least are fully voiced and they are they're working their way through the rest of them um but i'm excited to check out some of the future ones because i think that the first one is a little bit of a kind of ease you in um mm. and i must say just flicking through the book and reading the bits and seeing the locations is a joy that i i have cackled with such childlike glee at the point where there's a pub which the sign for it is a squirrel holding a bottle like hugging a bottle of grog <laughs> it's called the sloppy squirrel and I just think that's, I love it. I love it. It's really interesting hearing you talk about it because it sounds a lot like there's all everything that you'd expect from a role-playing game in there. And I really like the fact that they yes. kind of nicked the Apocalypse World style uh, playbook thing and just been like, here's a little thing. We're going to ask you some questions about your character. That's going to give you something to go on to let you go and have some weird hijinks. And yeah, it sounds really exactly. good. 
Exactly. It very much feels like a role-playing game. And I mean, also, it's, it, the thing I, I didn't mention, which is really important, is the fact that, yeah, you do get to make your decisions based on who's the most important person on the ship. But that ranking is always being shuffled up all the time. And it's it's amazing how quickly you go from being the, the underdog, like the least uh, important <laughs> person on the ship, to being the captain and then vice versa. And also the fact that everyone, and it's a great shame that we're just playing the digital version because it comes with all these little boards that you sit in front of you and everyone is in charge of a different part of the ship. And often that will just be a case of it's your job to keep track of how how good the hull is or how much how many supplies you have or how many crew you have or how hungry the crew are etc they're not complicated jobs but it just means there's a little bit of admin for everyone to keep up on and a little bit for people to go oh no wait 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 we can't do that because we haven't got enough food etc so and then often there'll be decisions that will come up and it will say this the, the choice that you now make is be to be made by the first mate or the you know the helmsman and so it's it's really neat. It's really light piratey storytelling. And my parents particularly, I think, just loved it because it's just silly and you can cause trouble and there's no real, it's kind of expected. It's it's not the sort of game where if someone starts messing around and steals your hat that you're like, you can legitimately get angry about it, you know, because it's <laughs> kind of embedded in the DNA of what you're doing. Um, I mean, also, Tom, if you thought your behavior was bad, this oh, stretches no. it when I was playing my brother. At one point, we're like, who's really good at this? They should go and do this. And he's like, yeah, I'm really good at that. And he went and did the task. Turned out he didn't have any skill in it. He just <laughs> wanted to go there so he could get a point of skill in it so he could get another star in his star map. Oh, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like pirates lying on their CV so they can get, <laughs> go to shore leave or whatever. The whole game reminds me so much of uh, Tales from the Arabian Nights, but with a lot of the... There's with two kind of huge advantages over that game. I love Tales from the Arabian Nights, but it is ultimately like now quite dated quite problematic as a piece and also hilariously out of print and it takes that energy of having the kind of the storytelling and the shared experience but it whilst in that game you wander all over the world and have you know raucous adventures and antics on your own this one forces your horrible selfish and ridiculous pirates into one boat that you're all manning at the same time so those selfish actions have like more impact in that shared little ecosystem it's just fantastic. It was. It's. I had yeah. such a blast with it, and it really conjured up that those excitement. You know, like you're saying, Ava, for for role playing games and for player expression in these kind of experiences. It's so light and like fluffy and silly, but also there's that cooperative aspect means that your light fluffy silliness can sometimes like lead to some quite hilarious disasters yeah i'm enjoying it a lot on zoom and i'm hoping that i'm sure i will not get through all of it but it's one of the games that as (laughs) soon as i can actually happily sit around a table with six other people i think it would be a wonderful um a wonderfully raucous sort of uh party game with a bit more substance and a bit more structure to to uh spend an evening with i think it's a wonderful thing so definitely check it out that's forgotten waters now next up we're going to talk about a game that we've talked about a little bit quinn's made a video about this one a game called the crew ava you've been playing a lot of the crew right yeah i've been playing the crew and i have uh had some absolutely brilliant times with it um the crew is a cooperative trick-taking game so you're all on the same side and you are playing the sort of game where you have a deck of cards you get given a hand and you play a card someone plays a card that means other people have to play cards that match the same suit if they can and whoever has the highest card of that suit wins that's the kind of simple core of a trick-taking game 
Um, what the crew does with that to make it cooperative is uh, give everyone a suite of tasks that they've got to fill. So um, there's 50 missions in the game, which each have a slight different bit of a variation on, on the mode. But the standard thing you'll be doing is you'll deal out a number of these little mini cards that represent the rest of the same deck as what you have in the main card. Um, and players will pick one of those that they have to win. Um, so what this means is that Rather than just looking at your own cards and thinking about how you can win as many tricks as you can, every time you're playing a card, you're trying to think about what it will let other people play and what it is going to force people to do. Um, And so all of these things that make trick-taking games interesting are made more interesting by the fact that you've got these odd goals and you've got to think about everyone at the table and what they might have. Um, and it's got something of the mind and Hanabi and things like that in that the communication you can have with each other is incredibly limited. Like each round, you're allowed to place one card face up in the table, but only if it is either your highest, lowest, or only card of a suit. And you put a little token mm. on it, which indicates that. And that is the sum total of what you're allowed to say about the cards in your hand. Um, and it's great. Like the going through the missions, I've only got up to number 11 um with two different groups at this point um but going through those missions you slowly start to learn how to communicate and what's important and things like what it means when someone isn't communicating when someone is holding back on revealing a card um and these missions just escalate into these like slow uh slow punishment as you start having to like right this round we've got to get four cards but we've got to make sure that this one is the last one of these four cards that gets one or there might be a round where one person isn't allowed to communicate or there might be one where one for the whole round there yeah one of the training missions is uh you've got to you pick a person at the beginning of the round and that person can't win any tricks so complete different version of the game to everything else and still that same thing of like how can we complete this odd task and it is hmm. it's hard to make it sound fun it's got that thing like no, the, no, no. like the mind where explaining it kind of sounds quite dry but in fact like it's got that thing that the mind has of like you spend a whole time in the heads of everyone around the table and and looking at each other and be, being intensely stressed about decisions uh because you you're there with everybody and you're there trying to work at these things and it is yeah it's a it's a brilliant cooperative game like the first time we played it was um back in the time when it was possible to go to conventions even if possibly ill-advised and i think we played for about four hours straight oh my Um, goodness and yeah and it it's just it's just a lovely game fascinating that sounds at some degrees uh, it's reminding me anyway i've got a, a physical copy of fugitive on my desk at the moment that just arrived thanks from a uh, flowers games we, we played that on a stream uh not long ago against tim himself <laughs> usually with tim and the stream basically it was people trying to beat the stream <laughs> the stream were very good at the fugitive it turned out but that similarly i guess not a co-op game but amazing how much tension and sense of like every every move being something where you are just constantly trying to get into the mind of the other person in a way which is outrageously engaging for something which if you described it on paper just wouldn't be yeah and there was quite often a really really common habit was for people to look at their cards and be like all right i can chuck that out and then immediately playing something and immediately being like 
oh no, <laughs> that was the worst possible thing I could do. I forgot to think about what that would mean for you. I'm sorry. And just, yeah, just that kind of, you know, for me, one of the things is games can make you care a lot about really insignificant things. And the mind makes you care mm. about numbers very, very, very intimately. And the crowd just, the crew, the crowd? And the crew <laughs> just makes you care about exactly how this hand is going to play out. And the cascading ideas that come into there and the way that it slowly escalates and slowly teaches you all of the game and and teaches you new skills without realizing it and yeah i don't know for such a simple kind of core idea um i've not seen something so creative i also one thing i wanted to mention really briefly was that in the, the the second time i played it uh was with a group that is slightly more into like the thematic grounding of things and each of these mm-hmm. 50 missions has a little tiny like a sentence or two of narrative. I was going to ask if it did, yeah. So it it does. I haven't got that far through it. Like I say, I've only got to mission 11 of, of 50, but it is so dull <laughs> and so excited <laughs> by space that it is incredibly charming. Like I was expecting it to be like, oh, you're all off on an adventure and there's going to be aliens and it's stuff. And it's like the first five or six missions are just like, right, it's a couple of months before you're going to launch a spaceship. So you'd better go and learn how gravity works, <laughs> and you'd better think about the order that you're going to be putting but pushing buttons in. Um, and then one of them is just like, right, it's launch day, ten, nine, eight, and it's just, uh, and it's just delights in like the mundanity of space. Like I don't know if further on it is going to go into a more science fiction thing, but so far it's just literally been like, core space. <laughs> <laughs> you, get to, you get to mission 40 and it turns out that it's all been a vr simulation now it's time <laughs> to start the real training there's yeah. one Once, mission yeah. that's about like deciding which of the uh the strange space foodstuffs is the most tasty like which which one of the sachet meals that you've got to prepare is the one that you're going to gun for this week yeah that's what space would really be like isn't it that's and space they, is really they would about. have to like carefully ration it so that people didn't eat all the really tasty things early otherwise it'd be like oh everyone's gonna get so sad all right well on that on the topic actually i'm gonna leap from that you i was grabbed by you talking about the fact that you play a card and then you get rid of have to get rid of the card and you get rid of that card and then immediately afterwards you realize that you need that card more than anything um last a couple of weeks ago actually for the first time tom got to play gloomhaven on the medium of tabletop simulator because we had a stream fall through and we thought well what could we do we thought well we just i could teach tom how to play gloomhaven and have a go of it that that to me feels like the epitome of a game in which you get rid of a card and then immediately uh, (laughs) cry because it's the exact card you need how do you how do you feel about it tom from your first little experience i i think i've been looking this is sounds really hyperbolic but i think i've been looking for a game that is like gloomhaven for a while in the sense that when I was a wee board game boy, uh, I bought Descent and was kind of disappointed in the fact that that felt like there was. It felt like you go and you and you hit the monster and you combo things and and you hope that you win the fight, but that didn't feel like the decision space was particularly wide. I guess, and Gloomhaven does feel like a wonderful like tactical puzzle with very little like random chance as as much. Well, and you've got those attack modifiers, but it feels like constantly very exciting and engaging and because it's so difficult perhaps <laughs> because we did not do so well at that gloomhaven first mission um i mean i was learning the game at the same time um 
but I was I really enjoyed it. I was really pleasantly surprised by how much something that looks quite trite and fantasy can be so kind of interesting in its card play. I'm kind of just saying lots of buzzwords right now, but <laughs> it's I mean from somebody who played it for maybe 60 hours and reviewed it about I don't know 3 years ago, 4 years ago, it's a tremendously difficult game to pin down. In some ways as somebody who's come from a experience of reviewing video games it, it reminds me of dark souls and the fact that it's just kind of an incredible thing that you keep coming upon new reasons why it's good um for an infinite quantity of time and you can never quite put your finger on exactly why it sings it just does um and yeah i think i'm super excited i was I, obviously i think it's one of those things where i've got so much love for it and i'm also so aware of all of its faults like that Every time I introduce it to anyone, I'm always like, yeah, oh, they might just think it's not very good, which would be completely fair, um, even though it is also brilliant. I'm excited, actually. If you're listening to the podcast on the weekend that it's out, then on Tuesday next week, we're going to be playing some uh, of the brand new Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, um, which arrived just recently. Actually, we managed to very cheekily snag two copies. I was like, oh, could you send one to Tom as well? Because then we could play it on the stream. So... I know you've already been dipping into the box a bit. You probably can't yes. talk about it a great deal just yet, probably, because I think they'd rather hold off on uh, any coverage coverage. But you could just say a couple of things if you want. Just a little snippet, just a little a treat for the, sure. the eager listeners. Here's this. I feel like this is the least spoilery thing uh, or the least uh, reveal thing I can talk about Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is that it's so cute <laughs> because <laughs> I spent a lot of this morning when I should have been doing, should have been working, but I spent a lot of this morning just packing all the nice bits of Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion into their respective little slots. And it was, it's such for the size of box. It's still quite a big box. Like it's I'm looking big, at it yeah. now and it's pretty chunky, but when you open it up, the way that it's all compartmentalized is so charming. Like it's, it feels like it's packing a wonderful mini adventure into this box and it's got the trappings of that big gloomhaven experience but without i imagine i haven't actually i've never physically seen or held the the monolithic gloomhaven box of legend well if you start weight training now then after all this <laughs> stuff you might come around and give it a go i might be able to hold it for more than a minute yeah exactly um, but it's it it looks wonderful i'm super excited to play it because i think that yeah, one of the things with Gloomhaven is I was wondering about getting it a while back, and I think the fact that it's people, I know that a lot of people say that, uh, including you, I think that you don't need to see the end of Gloomhaven to like feel like you've got your money's worth. Like you will play so many hours and you might never see the end of it because it's such a huge, expansive experience. But by the looks of things, I can see that like Jaws of the Lion is going to offer very much kind of like uh, perhaps I don't know whether this is roaming into areas that <laughs> the publishers might not want us to talk about but a more kind of like like a mini series rather than like a grand sprawling adventure right yeah like it, it's it looks like a contained lovely little narrative well this is all just yeah. looking at the box but <laughs> of course of course there's nothing there's nothing you just said there that you couldn't have said it's, it's the fact that there's only maybe is it 20 missions 30 missions it's not it's mm. not a dramatic thing like gloomhaven having like 80 missions um <laughs> it's it's enough that they could ostensibly tell a really nice contained story that would still last like run for a couple of months for most yeah, people for way like, longer than anyone is gonna need uh, yeah <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm super excited i mean um it's just interesting they've had they've had you know it's going to give us an eye i think into what 
uh, Frosthaven might end up looking like, which is the thing that fascinates me because it's that fact that there is something iterative here and um, Isaac has had Gloomhaven, had second edition, had Forgotten Circles come out, which was obviously worked on as well uh, by, and I'm definitely going to say this name wrong, so I apologize, but uh, Marcel Kwasetsky? No, no. Marcel Kvatechka. I need to see that written down. But Marcel, <laughs> uh, Marcel, I'm so sorry. I can't. I cannot get my head around that one. But Marcel, uh, who did a lot of the wonderful puzzly stuff within the scenarios in Gloomhaven's uh, Forgotten Circles expansion, I saw you kind of slight spoiler, but saw you kind of hopping around and having to solve some puzzles here and there. A lot of people actually weren't super keen on that aspect of it. However, um, some of that design in terms of having missions that unfold as you go through them is something that very much is now reflected in the jaws of the lion thing of having the missions in book pages of being able to jump between stuff so i'm really interested to see uh what it's like and to give us a flavor of the direction it might be heading in for Frosthaven. so yeah next tuesday uh, three o'clock uk time we're going to be playing it and it'll be on youtube afterwards as well at some point but um if you are hot as hot as we are for Jaws of the Lion, then definitely tune in and uh, get some live reactions. Tom's already opened the box and been fiddling with bits. I'm trying to hold <laughs> off on that a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's exciting. Also something we've played recently, which I think has been reviewed. The review actually has got, gone up on the website this week. Uh, Quinns has finally got around to reviewing Wingspan. I think his final kind of verdict on it was he thinks it's kind of fine. I believe at the time of recording this podcast, the video is about to go live at any time now, and I have not quite seen it yet. But I think his general feelings on it are he's not massively enamored with it. However, we were lucky enough to play uh, Wingspan with the game's designer, Elizabeth Hargrave, and I found it very charming, uh, personally. I, I, I really enjoyed, particularly, the mechanic of rather than having stuff that ever detracts you never felt like you actually ever losing anything you sometimes spend resources to make things but rather than having kind of any gotcha stuff between people it was mostly that you would put down a little bird which would then give you something but then give all other players something as well there was a lot of a lot of the interactions between players were me going oh you now get to take one of these because of my thing and I, I realized that there aren't many Euro games that do that. And it was really, it was really nice. It kind of wasn't a surprise to me that it's been a game that's been very popular with people who maybe don't play that kind of game before. Yeah, I think it's really, it's got a lot of interesting things about it. And there's a a comforting coziness to it. And it, yeah. it does a lot of really, really clever things in terms of like, it's trying to to represent ecosystems, but it doesn't really want to have to bash you on the head with that. So it's just like, little subtle things that if you spend a little bit more time thinking about them it's like oh yeah no wait a second that is a bit like what it's like like i like that there's a not quite a predator prey cycle of when food is available and when food isn't available and it's just like sometimes there's no food sometimes there's loads of food depending on how much <laughs> dice are out there and it just has these little push pulls and yeah, you can you can build a a satisfying little machine, and it will never feel quite as like precise and well engineered as uh, like yeah. a traditional engine building game. But at the expense of that, you've opened up the game to make it just a lot more welcoming for everybody. Because whatever yeah. you do, 
you're going to be doing some nice stuff. Um, and yeah, I think it's the fact that it's maybe not, you know, for the eyes of, of someone who plays a ton of things and wants that kind of that mechanical bite and sharpness, it's, it is fuzzier, but that fuzziness is, it's like, like a jumper. It's quite warming. Um, yeah. I found myself the opposite of most turns where I sit there going, Oh no, I can't do this because I didn't have all these things. The amount of times I was like, Oh, I'm completely shafted i can't do anything this round because i don't have this or that and then somebody was like oh and you now get a free worm because of my <laughs> bird and it was like it just completely saved me it was like <gasps> this lets me do it. and it was like uh, yeah like there was still the element though of um the person who was playing before you in my game it was elizabeth who kept just taking the things that you really needed on the round before <laughs> so there's still an element of being like oh i wanted that worm I can only think about worms for some reason. But at the same time, it was give and take. It was an element of, oh, I really wished you hadn't taken those ones. Oh, I wanted those ones. And also, oh, thank you. Like, it was quite nice to just have somebody just to be able to, it was quite nice equally to say to people, oh, and everyone can have a free bit of wheat. Everyone, you get a wheat. You get a wheat. I, I, I think that I end up in the um, in the video of this possibly as a brief cameo. Um, uh, and I'm on the record as just like, it's a game that makes you say nice things. <laughs> like It's a game that like, really has is. you saying, oh yeah, and then my my giant eagle comes and swoops down and attempts to, attempt to grab something. Did it get one? Oh no, it didn't. Not today. Um, but also <laughs> just the names of all of the birds are just like, just birds are lovely. Like birds have ridiculous names. Birds look cute. You heard it here first. And like <laughs> birds are great. It's really nice to have a bird, a game that's just an excuse to to like shuffle a big deck of birds and just say, "Hey, it's the Carolina chickadee." I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> what's up, YouTube? It's the Carolina chickadee." <laughs> it's weird, like like with so many. I think that one of the things that's resonated so well with with you know uh, board games as a whole, looking at, at Wingspan, is that. With some games that have themes kind of pasted onto them or themes put on them, it feels like, you know, a theme needs to be there to like dress the mechanics. Wingspan seems to have been almost uh, Elizabeth Hargrave loves birds <laughs> and therefore is going to make a game about it. You know, do you know what I mean? Like there's there's something about that game where the the love of the subject matter shines through so like excellently in the little details on the cards and the gorgeous illustrations and just, it, and you know, these lovely birds you've, you've got so many of that you're sorting through this deck <laughs> and it that passion for like the subject matter has weirdly like rubbed off on me where after playing yeah. wingspan i now i'm just sitting like at my window when i have some toast in the morning just looking up looking at the birds i will <laughs> there's been a weird undercurrent in everything that we've been saying where i can't stop thinking about the british slang of or oh, looking at some birds out the window, which makes me sound gross. But I promise they're the flying kind. I think the best, uh, the best kinds of of media, full stop, are those that that imprint on you to the, to a degree that they end up you end you end up actually changing your behaviour a little bit. Whether that's you know being, for my example, being. 13 or 14 and watching the matrix for the first time and then imagining your slow motion jumping everywhere for like months <laughs> or when i first played a, a video game called chibi robo park patrol where you're a little robot who goes around a park tidying up and finding broken toys and fixing them so they can find uh new homes and be recycled it just got me really into recycling and this was like about a decade ago i guess and i kind of fell off it a little bit before i got back onto it now but i kind of imagined if, if everyone in the world had played that game we could be living in a different planet because gosh, I got into recycling. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, I got a lot of time for that. I think when a love for something shines through that you can, you find yourself suddenly just as engaged in the same way that like the best people you meet at parties are people where they're just absolutely so much in love with a topic that they just start talking to you. Like, what do you care about? And they're like, Oh, this. And then they talk to you about it. And you just, you're like, I care about like whatever board this game. is now as well. <laughs> like, yeah, I care about board games now. Or like I met somebody who did something to do with tea and they were like, I told you about tea. I think I'd mentioned this actually on the, when we were playing the mothership stream. So yeah, to do with the fact that the blends of tea, they have to go around the world tasting different individual batches of leaves so they can continue to make the blends of tea that taste exactly as they should with different hardness levels of water, mm -hmm. despite the fact that they can't keep using the same leaves over and over again. I think that's fascinating. So I guess Wingspan is kind of the board game of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, is, it is though. It's a, it's a game that loves birds. It is a game that wants you to love birds. It wants you to kind of like enjoy finding them and seeing them and looking at them at saying their names and digging into weird little facts about them. You know, every card has a little fact. And also quite a lot in the like weird appendixy bit that you can kind of dig into. You had a, like a weird rule question. It's got justifications for why birds have specific um, specific things. Like so, it actually does teach you a little bit, even just by playing it. Like you pick up on like, oh yeah, I guess those yeah, I guess there is a load of birds that just kill other birds. That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so if you played it enough, do you think you could learn enough? that you could be a bird. Yes. yes. Next up on our safari of games, games, and the games who love them, we have a game that I've been very much loving over the past month, to the point where I haven't really been playing many board games. I've been preparing hard and hard and hard for our Mothership RPG series, which we've been doing, again, on Twitch, and will be coming to YouTube in an edited form very, very soon. We're hoping to have the first episode of it up uh, next week, so that people who are going to tune in for the next episode, which is going to be on Thursday next week, um, can join in having caught up. And I've been running this game as the Warden, um, and I'd love to hear, because I've played it as a player before, uh, we had a game run by Alan Girding at Shucks last year. And um, yeah, I'd be fascinated to hear what you guys think about the system. I think I'd love the system if the GM was better. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I would like to think that's a given, you know? That's a given. <laughs> no, I... Um... I enjoyed the the stream and reading about Mothership and go, just going through the motions of that character sheet and looking at the world that's being built by that rule set so much that I'm trying to organize games with some of my uh, mates from university because I think that one thing that, you know, you can look at the the zine, the magazine, the, the, the rule book comes in. It's really like quite brief and yes. sums up kind of some... The, the sense of what kind of game it's going to be just in such a short period of time. And the rules, the rule sets are ridiculously simple, really. Like, I think I get put off by doing larger role-playing stuff because I think about all the systems you have to memorize. And because everything's just done in percentiles, you have a 2d10s and you roll one for the 10s and one for the the, the units. I don't know. It's such a breath, breath of fresh air in terms of like such a concise and horrifying <laughs> little piece of writing <laughs> to live in. Well, I think, yeah, I think that it's, it's, there's an interesting bite point for that, isn't there? Cause I like, um, I feel the same way as you, I think I'm often put off by, uh, the intimidating rule sets of, uh, 
RPGs. Um, just because, you know, at least if you've got a board game, you just usually have a little a little thing in front of you with a little cheat sheet with what you can do and how things work. And especially with some of the bigger things like Dungeons and Dragons, it is a bit more veering into the kind of Warhammer uh, school of things of it being like, well, there's the rules. And then there's also like 18 other books of more rules that you can <laughs> have access to, etc. Whereas the foundation of Mothership seems to be a lot more and like, okay, well, look, we're going to give you a pretty simple system that let you like do anything, like work out how you're going to resolve anything. And then a lot of the other stuff is just about trying to help you um, in terms of just generating stuff for people to do and generating things that could happen. Mm. Um, I remember when we, when I first played it, the fact that, yeah, um, I kind of did the same thing that the wonderful Alan Girding did when he ran it for us. I'd be like, well, what, what prep do I need to do? And he's like, don't worry about it. Just turn up. Like, and he, we just turned up and he had like, four seats with character sheets in front of them and like one of them is an android one of them is a scientist one of them was a teamster that's kind of like a space union person and one of them was a marine and then the rest of it was just we just made up the characters in about five minutes that character sheet is really lovely in the way that it just kind of like mm. walks you through all of the things has little notes for for every possible option so you can just quickly just put something together um incredibly fast and kind of have a rough sense of how things are going to work as well like even just like oh right i'm going to be keeping track of stress that's worrying <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> it's a warning yeah 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 i guess it's also just the, the fact that it's it does kind of tee you up for having characters that are quite disposable in a way which is immediately a little bit i guess for most people stressful i found that when i i didn't really gel with role-playing games until i started playing them with characters that i didn't really mind if they died um and <laughs> and then i started really enjoying it because i just realized that like a character's death is just part of their story <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> it's all just stories That's one way you know? to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's been interesting to run the last time uh i was doing it slight spoiler for the first part of it but uh last time i did there was a lot more immediate physical threats going on rather than just psychological stuff going on but um it is lovely to have something evocative that is just completely focused on the idea of knowledge and stress and something i haven't really tapped into much yet but look forward to playing with is the fact that some people might know things that other people don't and sharing that information might just stress everyone out and make everyone <laughs> like so maybe just don't tell people <laughs> which is a lovely idea so Tom, yeah, I've had to kind of put you off from checking out some of the resources because I'm like, I might use mm. that. Don't, don't. What, are you, what sort of thing are you going to look to run for your friends? Do you think? Well, I was. They've already got. Um, there's a thing called uh, Hideo's World, I think, which is a, a uh, one shot yeah, yeah. little pamphlet um, where you're sort of put into uh, like a kind of hypno space, a very strange like Web 2000s. Uh, version of the internet that's kind of sci-fi and virtual reality which looks kind of crazy the little drawing they've got mm. yeah the drawing they've got of like the the this spec this 3d space with the four gateways to different zones <laughs> like must be must be a direct reference to uh, the computer episode of don't hug me i'm scared uh, <laughs> which if you've not seen that uh, listening i definitely recommend you watch that maybe not with very young children um but yeah that's it must be a reference to that and yeah that that whole little scenario just sort of made me grin with delight at the idea of it for that reason alone really the fact that it, it describes the floor as being that kind of 
pink and black sort of png background pattern is just really like it's like setting it off to be like this <laughs> terribly janky awful kind of retro world which i'm excited to, to dip into and it gives you that like it, very much like a framework of something and it lets players kind of it doesn't have the, the same things with lots of like sort of fantasy large scale role-playing games where it's like you know that the choices are as wide as you want them to be but that always leads to kind of like very chaotic stories it seems like mothership wants you to play through kind of a a dungeon sort of rather than have the kind of the more open world bits in a way that is quite direct and i think yeah like scary that the, the what we ended on last time uh which i won't spoil was just dread pure dread <laughs> well i'm glad it's, to hear that yeah. partially. it feels like you, you've set up an excellent act one <laughs> to then i do kind of yeah. knock over the house of cards in act two <laughs> i do feel a bit bad that like you know we're living in difficult and stressful times and i've invited everyone in for a, a bi-weekly <laughs> session of uh of of dread but uh of cosmic yeah, horror it's it's an interesting one. I've I've never actually run an, like, a game like as a DM before. I've had a lot of stuff run for me by Quinns. He ran a lot of Torchbearer and he ran a lot of Blades in the Dark, both of which I had a fantastic time with. He's really brilliant DM. Um, so I kind of, I've definitely pinched a few little techniques or things from him that I remember him doing. Um, but it's it's fairly nerve wracking stuff doing it. I, I didn't realize how stressed I was about about doing it until after we'd done it when i felt i suddenly could breathe and had a really nice relaxing weekend um <laughs> but uh yeah i i could see myself getting back to actually the second edition of torchbearer which uh i learned about by reading and editing the news on shut up and sit down oh, yeah. <laughs> every monday um i ended up maybe in a moment of um real lockdown madness backing that at quite a high level um which is a bit <laughs> bonkers for someone who doesn't really play that many role-playing games but i think i have such fond memories of uh of playing torchbearer and the little metal coins looks pretty cool so was torchbearer <laughs> i can't even remember our own news article but was that the one that had the trailer with just like drone just, metal yep. and yeah, weird Doom, that Doom was such Ritual. a good Kickstarter. Like, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I, we watch a lot of Kickstarter videos doing the news. And like that Torchbearer one was so direct that we kind of had to talk about it because it's, it was terrifying. Wasn't it just about 17 minutes of Doom Metal with crazy visuals and no Pretty, yeah. information about the game? Yeah, yeah it didn't, didn't communicate anything whatsoever, but also was like, oh, yeah. I'm I'm more interested in this than I am in anything that I've ever seen on Kickstarter. <laughs> I think that might have been why I was like, "Yeah, you know what? Take my money." I just looked and I was like, "This is bonkers. Who would do that? You can have you can have this money. Take it, please." No, uh, we played a bunch of uh, Torchbearer a few years ago and had a really wonderful time. It has a similar intensity and sense of dread actually to um, Mothership and the fact that it's just it asks the question. Yeah, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. People going into dungeons to try and find treasures. But like, actually, though, like, what kind of person would go into a dungeon in the hope of finding <laughs> some gold? And the answer is like really like reckless or stupid people or really desperate people. Right. And so, yeah, it just it became a kind of horrendous job of accounting of being like, <laughs> well... 
you know, I don't want to kill all of these people, but we invested all this money on all this equipment and food to get us to this place so we could do this job and it's gone south. Now it's like we need to <laughs> like we need to recoup our costs. So I guess we are going to do this. And, you know, at one point, I think we had to wipe out an entire cave full of kobolds just because we found their treasure room and it was just loads of shiny crap that they collected. And the only valuable thing in there was like a, a giant wooden bureau and it, it was <laughs> worth like quite a lot of money but we the only way we could get it out was by all three of us like carrying it physically out of the cave and for a few days back to the city and it's like well yeah so we had to we literally had to slaughter all of these creatures that otherwise we were planning to avoid purely for logistical reasons um which i think there's something about that which is which is wonderfully bleak um so yeah uh, got a lot of love for Torchbearer, and uh, I'm hoping that I can continue to keep you guys stressed, but not too stressed, because it's supposed <laughs> to be fun. Uh... <laughs> it's hard. It's it's a strange one because I don't know if it's like uh, coming across like quite how uh, how much dread there is in that situation because I think that like all of us are actually trying to like crack jokes to try and alleviate the the slight anxiety that you think. I don't know. I feel like I, I feel I do feel the claustrophobia. Well, that's interesting. Of it. Like there's something about something that's kind of like quite um, being pushed down a corridor, being pushed to do a certain thing, being like encouraged or knowing that there's something that is going to make you do certain things, and if you do the wrong thing, then that's a bad. Is <laughs> uh, it's it's threatening and awkward. Um, uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm genuinely nervous, and I, I I hope that I hope that some of that gets across, and it's not just sounding like me being like, oh, this is a silly thing, because I'm actually scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, no, I have been. Uh, like, we'll have to probably develop some sort of safe word for if I start being too oppressive during the <laughs> sessions. Just be like that. Can you just leave I, it off, please, for a minute. I think it's good. It's like if we're doing them. If we can keep on doing them in the light, like I don't think I want to be doing it at night in a dark room. Oh, fair um, enough. Yeah, I'm sure we could. Yeah, do that. yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's good fun. It's, uh, <laughs> it oh, is yeah, also fun, and I'm enjoying being silly as well. Um, and on top of that, um, yeah. and I like being able to have that thing of of oscillating between like dread and doom and like the kind of awkward humor that people try to punctuate something with to try and be like no this is fine there's nothing and you've got to remember here. it doesn't matter if you die because you just get another character like yeah yeah just keep coming back i'm not scared of dying <laughs> that's not the problem <laughs> it would be fine if it was just if it was just like oh it's yeah just... no but there's what are you afraid of the unknown <laughs> yes I mean, it's it's claustrophobia, isn't it? I think that that's the thing that like doesn't get explored in most dungeoneering, uh, or or even like space stuff is like actually being in space, like not knowing where you are, knowing that you've got like a small amount of metal between you and like the crushing vacuum of the universe, um, is eerie in, in of itself. And if you put that, and then you have stuff that is genuinely uncanny like genuinely has that thing of like oh this should be cozy like you know i can tell that you've kind of gone for that a little bit with uh some of the some of the hints you've been dropping but like things that should be homely and comforting aren't 
and <laughs> because it's not and there's something going on and that is um yeah i don't know i think it's nailing it i think it's that's what's one of the things that sci-fi does really well is uh making the strange familiar and the familiar strange and well yeah. that's a that's fun to hear and i think that's a, a very fun little tease for uh checking that out so yeah do keep an eye on the youtube channel next week if you want to watch part one of mothership a bit edited down and if you'd like to watch along live you can do so next thursday 3 p.m uk time if you go to shut up uh, go to twitch.com Oh, Twitch, is it twitch.com or twitch.tv? I'm such a, an old man, I don't actually... Twitch.tv slash shut up and sit down. Forward slash granddad. Forward slash granddad. <laughs> Type in granddad for 50% <laughs> off wet rusks. Um, yeah, <laughs> check it out if you can. If you're around and you're free, you, I think there's some fun things to be had for playing, watching along live. Finally, before we wrap it up, we've got a couple of minutes. We might come back to this properly um, in the future because um, because we just might. As alluded to in the Shut Up and Sit Down supporter newsletter that I think we sent out last month or maybe the month before, um, I think it was pretty recently, to be honest, we quite quickly <laughs> oscillated between going, wow, cool, playing board games on the internet is so much fun. Yeah, this is fine. We could do this. And playing maybe two or three evenings a week on Tabletop Simulator or uh, Board Game Arena or Tabletopia. And that kind of petered off quite quickly because it's just... It's just not the same, and it's slightly exhausting sometimes. And oh, I just would like to sit and. Hey, <laughs> hey, Matt. Guess what? what? Yesterday, I played some Brass Birmingham, and let me tell you, I got to hold cubes in my very hands, oh. and I got to put the little wooden barrels on the places oh, and move tiles around with my, with my real human hands. Oh, it was great. Sickening. You know what I got to feel? I got to feel the rush of having a full glass of water right next to the board. <laughs> <laughs> Anything could happen. You whispered to the glass of literally. water. I literally had, um, for uh, near my birthday, my housemates kind of joined me for a little game night kind of session and got to play silly party games oh, lovely. Uh, and just those things that are about tapping objects or grabbing things and like actual like physical movement and like I've mostly been getting my board game fixed on board game arena which is like very much like kind of dry euro mode and just like right now we're doing me- mechanisms and oh my word have I missed just being silly at a table with people yeah um, yeah, yeah you know I think that's what I miss most. You know, even playing the the big dry games, it's the it's the, the beautiful double whammy of getting to sit and enjoy this chunky little complicated uh, abstract puzzle, whilst also just having fun with people and making funny jokes about things and just being yeah. a bit goofy um, outside of the remits of it. I'm looking forward to hopefully trying to play future with my wife because I think it's it's simple and light enough and exciting enough. That I think she might really like it because. She does like some games. It's just a bit hit and miss. She really likes Condottiere, or she likes to call it the horse game. Um, she's pretty good at the horse game. Uh, Fugitive might be a winner. But yeah, I, I, got, I keep having little pangs of sadness. You posted a, a photograph earlier in our, in our company Slack, Tom, about how you just received loads of hero realms stuff in the post. <laughs> and my immediate thought was... A comical amount of hero a realms. A comical amount of hero realms. But my immediate thought was... Oh, I'd really like to just be sitting in a kitchen playing Hero Realms with Tom. That'd be nice. <laughs> just like oh, it would I've played be. Star Realms a lot with my brother back in the day, and that's just a really cozy game. Yeah. And I'm sure that Hero Realms is the same. It's 
not terribly complicated, mm. just really satisfying. So, yeah, missing out on that. But the upshot of it is we've started to realize that actually, um, if you want to just sit and play something game-like, um, then actually some of the best card games out there at the moment um, for this current the climate and time and being avoidant of people are actually digital ones. And I just the other day, mainly because Tom had to do some packing and our stream ideas got pushed back a mm. bit. I just jumped on and played some Slay the Spire on Twitch for a couple of hours with people watching. And that resulted in you, Tom, buying the game and playing it, right? Yes. <laughs> I'd, well, coming, coming back to it, I bought it a while ago and I played it for a bit and I clicked with it and was like, this is pretty good. And then, I don't know, I think I just played some more board games instead but now after watching you play it for like half an hour and being amazed by the <laughs> there was something about the speed at which you were just throwing out cards i was like i want to get i want to get good at this <laughs> i want to get <laughs> autopilot on this game <laughs> i'm not good i'm just reckless <laughs> yeah oh yeah fair enough um it's fantastic I, i'm re it's so it's a game that i'm now thinking about when i'm not playing it which is the sign of like that's some of my favorite board games uh games that i finish a game of and then i'm literally counting like the hours until i can then like sit around a table and play it again and so the spire is dangerous because i don't have to count the hours till i can play it again because i can play it right now <laughs> on my own <laughs> you can't play it right now tom we're in the middle of a podcast matt please I've don't play playing video games it while this we're whole time oh, i'm on 446 matt i'm <laughs> Oh, how can you do this? My my smooth <laughs> olive brain cannot handle more than one task. This is unfair. Cranulation king. Right. Um, yeah, yes, it is it is remarkable. I, I didn't play it for an awful long time because I didn't like the look of the art style. I thought it was kind of ugly. Um, but jumping into it and playing it, it is a phenomenally well-designed card game. Um, it, it just it just doesn't quit. You, you've played a lot of this as well, Ava, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the first uh, couple of weeks of my lockdown were quite heavily, heavily influenced. <laughs> quite, quite <laughs> spent in the spire. Yeah, I was the same. I got into it at the start of lockdown as well, of just being like, well, I, I guess I'll give this a go. And then my time, time melts and a month passes and I'm like, well, I guess I've put 100 hours into this somehow. And um <laughs> It is. It's just delightful to play, right? Yeah, yeah. It does so many clever things. It's smooth as butter to play. Like absolutely everything. The buttons just do exactly what you want them to do straight away, and you're just you're just playing it. And then the deck building that exists within it, like that creation of your deck, very slowly over the course of multiple rounds, but also like the what will happen to your deck during the course of a game is there's just so many clever ideas and so many like interesting ways of playing with the same same structures mm. and like yeah. little thematic flourishes like i still i still like am absolutely sold on the fact that um one of the cards is just called anger and whenever you play it you it, it's free so you can just play it but it puts a copy of that thing into your deck so you will just slowly get more and more angry during the course of the play until <laughs> All you can do is anger, um, and and that's great. Like actually, like getting a little yeah. bit of emotional, kind of like ah, that's there is a problem with getting angry. <laughs> yeah, anger is free, but it it's, it doesn't stop and it yeah. doubles. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it has a lot of wonderful little touches like that within it. And also, I've got to say that like it's there's it's not uncommon that that a lot of 
kind of tactical or strategy games that are also roguelikes, which within the uh, that area of means a game that effectively you're going to be playing again and again, and you're always going to be going through the same game, but with lots of randomized or procedurally generated scenarios that means that no two games will ever be the same. And some games will go very, very well, and some games will go very, very badly. And the aim is generally to get to the end, which is a very hard thing to do. Um, most of the time, all of those games have one thing in common, which is there are usually ways you can kind of break the game in a satisfying way. But I just love how many ways you can break the game and slay the spire. And also the fact that you have to be quite clever about it. It's mm. it won't break itself. And also like you can break <laughs> it in ways which are incredibly detrimental to you. <laughs> yes. Like I've definitely done things where I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like I'm I'm ruined now. Um but it it's definitely has that thing that all great puzzle games have of when you manage to do something with your deck that really works you do feel very clever you feel like you you've put together something that's a, a careful machine that only works because you know how to use it oh it also has that thing of like you can build a very very clever machine and then start tinkering it just a little bit too much and just the whole thing like crumbling in your hands and like yeah something that a few few levels ago was incredibly efficient and absolutely great at slaughtering anything is now mud <laughs> um yeah and i don't know i think it yeah it tempts you into kind of like trying to push for things and and you can't always do it and i think it, it yeah it works really smartly on like every level of it like from each individual hand to your entire deck to how that interacts with the spire itself and the different levels and different options you've got Something that's really strange with Slay the Spire is that for as long as I've remembered, I've not really enjoyed deck building games like that much, or at least they immediately haven't caught my attention and, and suckered me in. But Ava, what you were saying about the fact that you're incrementally building your deck, like you start with such a simple foundation and then each card, you're considering the possibilities every time you add it in. And are they, I think they're relics or artifacts, the things that you get that just add little twists and they spiral off into these new like thought patterns be like oh and then i can do this and then i can do this and it's a game that to me made the act of deck building so much more engaging because it introduces those concepts gradually and in a way that feels it never feels overwhelming at the start whereas you know another Absolutely, yeah. I, I used to play a little bit of hearthstone and the fact that you'd have to build your hearthstone deck you know you'd you'd complete that whole run of 30 cards in one go and then test it out always felt a bit like is this going to work? I don't really know. But with Slay the Spire, the, the build is so perfect in escalating that complexity um, over the course of a run um, until, you know, if someone else looked at it, they'd be like, how does this work? And then you're, you're playing it and you're like, I don't really know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I did at some point. <laughs> a very long time ago when it just came out, we briefly mentioned uh, talking about Hearthstone. And at the time, actually, when it first came out, Hearthstone was pretty uninventive and pretty trad and very, very, very popular. Mm. Um, and as it went on, it did gradually uh, work out the ways it could do the thing that we kind of felt like all digital card games needed to do, which was to use techniques and do things within the framework that you can't do with physical card games and one of the most obvious things with that would be using random cards using being like you play this and something random will happen like genuinely random not just like shuffle your deck it's like pull out something from the existence of all cards which again is like that's cool but i think one of the things that one of the reasons that it works in slay the spire with that what you're talking about with the all of the modifications that happen is it would be impossible like to really play it as a head-to-head -head game yeah. because 
you would be playing against people who would always be able to remember everything going on. You know, the fact <laughs> on their 10th hit, they're going to get extra damage. And on this third hit and every third reshuffle, they're going to get energy. But what I love about it is it gives you this incredible quantity of things to try and track and possibly use. But you often don't have to. And it's only when you really feel like you have to that you can kind of switch on and go, well, okay. And, and like take your time to just go. And it works so beautifully as a single player game because of that, because it, you can just sit there for as long as you want to puzzle out. And I love just exiting the game every time a battle goes really badly that I think I might be able to do. <laughs> I love it on an impossible battle where I'm like going to spend like an hour trying to solve a puzzle like comes at Solitaire. <laughs> so um, yeah, a lot of love for that. And I'll very briefly mention, because I'm sure people in the comments will go, have you played this? Have you played this? Um, I have played some Monster Train. Um, I think it's it's fun. It, I don't think it's like Slay the Spire tier. I think Slay the Spire is like a classic. Uh, so if you haven't played either of those two digital card games, there's similarities. Monster Train is flashier. It's newer. A lot of people are excited about it right now. I I could be wrong and I could change my mind, but I think it's a fun game, but not a classic. Um, and actually, just before we recorded this podcast, I played about 20 minutes of the new early access game by Clay Interactive called uh, Griftlands. And that could be something very special, actually. Um, Talking about what you were mentioning earlier, Ava, of having that sense of cards, having some sort of emotional backing to them. This is a science fiction deck building game in which it's kind of a deck builder cross with an RPG where you are moving around to different locations, having conversations with characters, taking on jobs, and then also having like card game interactions with people. And I was amazed by, A, the world building is fantastic, the scripting is great, it really does feel like you're a character doing things. But then when you're having actual um, card play, there are two different types of interactions. There are combat ones, and then there are negotiation ones. And honestly, there might even be more than that within the game. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've been playing for 20 minutes. But what I loved was, immediately, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to start upgrading my cards and getting new cards that are better at negotiation, which are literally a card game back and forth where you are putting down arguments and using cards to destroy arguments and some of the theming on it is wonderful like one of them just has this slightly annoying looking man with a mustache but holding one finger up and closing his eyes and the card is simply called ergo dot 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 is it is it brings something up from your discard pile so it's basically you being like and again like i'm gonna mention That's this wonderful. thing and it's like <laughs> oh gosh this is good like and the fact that it has um yeah you have negotiate cards that are green and you have like more forceful cards so you can be more aggressive against arguments or you can be more tactful and i'm not very far into it but it's just like there's so much joy within the illustrations and the ideas for this mm. of simply having it where it's like, okay, well now we're going to play a, a deck building uh, combative game about having arguments with people um, in addition to having fights. I, I, yeah, I, if you look, if you like the idea and this again is something whereby I think this is an arena, which is really exciting for digital card games to get into because it's a digital card game which is primarily focused on storytelling um, in a way that I think you would struggle to achieve. Um, not impossible, but you struggle to achieve as well um, in a solo single-player board game. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's definitely worth a look. Uh, maybe even not immediately because it's in early access. It'll be great when it comes out. But 
definitely one to keep on your radar if you're excited about card games and RPGs and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And after rambling for a while, we're gonna I'm gonna have to call it a day on this one after getting too excited about <laughs> digital games and card games and games. Um, yeah. We've, I'm not going to run through stuff that we're going to have on Twitch over the next couple of weeks because we talked an awful lot about stuff we'd be playing on Twitch and what's coming up ahead. Finally, though, on Wednesday next week, if you enjoyed Tom talking about the thousand-year vampire in an earlier podcast, then you will enjoy watching him talk about it more in a video. Wow. I've already seen uh, the video, and it's really good, so you should definitely check that out. It's going to be up on the website and on YouTube on Wednesday next week. And yeah, as I say, all three of us and Pip and Pip, I love Pip, will be playing Mothership again next Thursday. Can't wait to die in space. Can't wait to die in space. You might have to wait to die in space. <laughs> you might have to wait. Oh. So oh. just be patient. Okay. You're not going to let us die, are you? <laughs> We're just going to I don't be know. Trapped. I mean, what's... Yeah, maybe. Who knows? I've got I've got so many plans. Who knows? But yeah, we'll see what happens. Anyway, we'll see you again in two weeks with another episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. See you next time. Bye. Bye. You clipped a little bit when you were laughing there. How does this sound? Should I do like a Final Fantasy style cloud laugh where I go, ah, ha, ha, ha. How does I mean, that, that was, was a, great? That was a way. <laughs> that, was more, that, was, that wasn't cloud. That was the tedious. I, I don't know anything about Final Fantasy. So. <laughs>